evening. And let me get this out of here. And thank you for your faithful attendance. Man, this morning was tremendous, and we've been having some great services during our spring program. And I hope that you, un- did, you I hope you, did you catch during the, the video, the, how many of you noticed the bird? He was on the thing, and then the next picture, he's flying away, and then the next thing, he's back on the cross. And so, I don't know what's going on with the bird, but he loves church too, so... But we're looking, to, we're looking over these next few weeks, and I'm not preaching about the building. I just want to kind of keep it going here. But we're looking for what we can do to, to, to get us to the finish line. The finish line is there, and uh, just financially and, and getting this building over here done. We have so many ministries going on. I'm very excited about them. And the whole principle is we want to do more. We want to we reach more people. I think about, you know, our different ministry. We have the bus ministry. We're looking to start another bus route, Okay. Someone getting their license right now, we could use a couple of extra drivers, to be honest with you. Our buses are running at a tremendous pace, and um, we want to reach more out into the, to our city and to the surrounding cities. Uh, thankful for our deaf ministry. We have a couple men here. They were out this morning, and uh, they're Romans Road Ministry, and they go around to um, different deaf expos around the country, and they set up booths, and they're just there all day sharing the gospel with the deaf. And I'm looking forward to the day when John keeps putting the, you know, save for the deaf ministry, and it's that one, it's that one, and they're trying to take over that whole section there, okay? We'll charge them for it, don't worry about it, but uh, I love our, we, we, we recently started um, a ministry getting into the rest homes. We've always went into this one here. They shut us down for several years after COVID, but we're in this one, we're in the one around the corner here. I think there's one on, on uh, the traffic circle, if I'm not mistaken. I think Oscar does that one. And there's another one that wants us to come in, and we're getting that one going. All these different ministries. I love our wheelchair folks. I, every time I see them, I'm like, look, you guys have to take over the complete back wall here. Okay? That's your space. I'm going to get them a sign, you know, reserved for wheelchairs only. The whole, he calls them the holy rollers, Okay. Uh, some of you don't know what that means, and you probably shouldn't. So uh, just a lot going on in our, adult, uh, our classes, our Sunday school classes. Very, very excited about what God is doing. And I don't want to get complacent with it, okay? And I don't want to get restricted and, and, um, because of what's going on in our building, but I'm very, very excited about the future, and I hope that you are as well. And so we're very, very excited. We're going to look at a thought this evening that will... I think we'll encourage you. We hear a lot about miracles, right? What's, what is a miracle? I looked at a definition. A miracle is an event that seems to defy natural laws. If I took my keys, the natural law of gravity says it goes down. If I were to let go of it and it went up or flew around, that would defy the natural laws. Um, it's an extraordinary event or phenomenon that, that, that cannot be described by science or reason. And it seems like today, science, science today doesn't have any reason, so uh, we'll move on from that one. It's a rare and exceptional occurrence that brings about a profound and positive change in a person's life or world. It's an experience or phenomenon that is awe-inspiring and transformative. Basically, it's something outside of the normal realms of how this world operates that does not have a logical explanation. That is a miracle. Now, when we use the word, we use it so casually, right? Didn't there used to be a a mayonnaise? Miracle whip. 
The miracle is that anybody would actually use it, okay? But we use that. We remember, if you're a little bit older like Robert back here, um, the 80 Olympics. I remember the, 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 hockey, the hockey team in the 80s. If you're not old enough, you don't understand the context with that. Um, you know, Russia and America, well, it's getting like that nowadays. We weren't really friendly towards each other. And they had just invaded, I believe they had invaded Afghanistan. And there was a lot of political upheaval. Well, the Russians, their teams, they didn't let anybody leave their country. So all their players were literally professionals. And their hockey players were some of the best in the world. They, they played our national hockey league, our professional players, and um, they would beat them most of the time. And so we sent a bunch of uh, uh, college kids and America at that time wasn't very good at hockey. And you know what happened. And miracle of miracles, I'm using the word out of, out of, out of thing there, you know, we beat them. And I, how many remember the last five seconds? I don't know who it is. One of the announcers said, do you believe in miracles? Well, that's not a miracle, okay? That was a one in a thousand occurrence where a bunch of kids just played out of their minds and they beat the Russians. That's not a miracle, a definition of a miracle it's, it, it, that I gave you, there's one thing all those different definitions have in common that as I was looking them up, they all attribute what happens to a higher power, okay, some outside source. Well, we understand there's no such thing as a higher power, but there is a, a divine power, and that's God. And God can do miracles. Um, you know, a lot of times we call something miracle, and it's just nothing more than a coincidence. I saw a story once and this couple had got married. She was from France and she moved to America to go to college and she met her husband and they got married. After they were going married, after they were married, and he was from America and she was from France. They had never met until she came to college. They were looking through some old photos and he showed a picture of himself when he was at Disney World with his family sitting there. And in the back was a little child walking with her parent. And this girl looked at it and said, that's me. Our parents came from France to America to go to Disneyland, and here's her husband, and they were both like five years old, miraculously in a picture together, living in different countries at that time. That's not a miracle. It's a super, super, it's a super uh, big coincidence. He would say it's the best thing that ever happened to him. I would say let's check back in 20 years. So, <laughs> kidding. Okay, so what is a miracle? A miracle is something that can only happen because of God. It's when God chooses to work outside of the normal boundaries that he has set. He acts outside of the normal circumstances that are at play, and God chooses to do something. That is a miracle. It's not some guy that says, if you want to be healed, come down to my crusade. It's not Benny Hinn. He was here about 15 years ago, 20 years ago. He had a healing crusade down here at the Long Beach Arena during his healing crusade Somebody died of a heart attack. Okay? Uh, that's what we call fake. But when it comes to, to real, honest-to-goodness miracles, God can do great miracles. And I want to look at that this, this, this evening in the brief time we have. As we get to our story, John the Baptist is sitting in a, a, a jail cell. He is not going to get away. He's not going to get out. He is, he's been placed there, and pretty soon he is going to have it, he's going to be beheaded. As he's sitting in there, I'm sure he got a little bit discouraged, and he's thinking about everything. He knew that um, well, who he had preached about and, 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 and who he was following, who he was setting the way for, Jesus Christ, he knew that he was the Messiah. 
But sitting there in that jail cell with everything that's going on, he, he, he loses a little bit of heart. John was not some average guy. Jesus said, of those born of a, of a woman, there is not a greater than John the Baptist. He was the one who cried in the wilderness. Matthew 3, 3 says, for this is he of whom it was spoken by Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one that was pointing the way. When he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He was the one that sent others to Jesus. And sometimes his disciples are looking at it like, hey, you know, people are starting to fall, follow Christ more than you. He's like, he must increase and I must decrease. John was a great man. But in verse 19, John calling unto two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, Art thou he that should come or look we for another. That's that moment of doubt. And so the disciples go to Je his disciples go to Jesus and ask this question like, hey, John's just asking, are you really the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus answers him, but not just with words of confirmation, but with his actions. Look at verse 21. And in the same hour after they asked, in the same hour, <clears throat> he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. So they come and ask the question, and they're hanging out, and Jesus is doing all these miraculous things. And then Jesus speaks to them. Verse 22, <clears throat> he answers and says, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Jesus says, go to John and tell him everything you're seeing and all the miracles that are happening. He's trying to reassure John that, that John, everything's okay. God's in control. I am the one and I'm doing the work God called me to do. He brought health to the sick. He brought freedom to the oppressed, to the one that was blind, he brought sight. The one that was lame, he, he helped them to walk. Those that were unclean with leprosy, he cleansed them. He brought hearing to the deaf, and to some who were dead, he even raised them from the, raised them from the dead. These are all miracles, true definitions of miracles. Things that could only happen because God was present in the form of Jesus Christ, and he worked outside the normal bonds and laws which uh, govern this earth. They were miracles. But here's my question tonight. What, which of these miracles was the greatest? Was it giving health to the sick? Giving freedom to those that were possessed of devils? Giving sight to the blind? The ability to walk to those who are lame, cleansing to those who are unclean, healing to the deaf, or raising someone from the dead. Which of these are the greatest? Now, everybody would have their opinion, right? Some would say, well, you know, that one seems like it. Or some would say, you know, all of them seem like that. I guess it would depend if it's the one that he is doing on you, that would be the greatest to you. But they all seem miraculous. But which one is the greatest? I have the answer to that. Do you? Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll compare later. I, it's the one miracle I didn't mention. Okay? I didn't mention it. Look at verse 22 again. 
The one that we would look at this list and it's like, that doesn't seem like a miracle. Verse 22, then Jesus answered and said, go your way, tell John what things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. But look at the last one there. To the poor, the gospel is preached. That the gospel is preached, that's not a miracle. I mean, anybody could do that. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take the gospel to people that don't know Christ. What's miraculous about that? That's just a step of obedience. Well, here's why it's the greatest miracle. Because it leads to the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is when someone listens to the gospel, God convicts them of their sin, and they choose to put all of their faith and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross for their eternal salvation. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation. When a lost person is now found. When somebody who was on their way to hell is now saved and they are now on their way to heaven. Think about this. All these other miracles that he mentioned, if those people received those physical miracles, but they never got saved, what good did it do them? What does it matter if you're sick and God makes you healthy so that you just die in your sins and go to hell and in in, 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 in your years on this earth were just a little bit better? What if it means if you are liberated from a demonic spirit and, and, and he cast it from you, but yet you don't trust Christ and you miss heaven? What would it matter if you were blind and you receive your sight and you go on your merry way and yet you don't go to heaven? What would it matter if you can't walk and, oh, what do you call them again, Ryan, back in the back? The holy rollers. What if we could heal all of them and they got up and they could walk and they no longer needed their wheelchair and yet they never trusted Christ and they ended up in hell. What good would it do them? What could it do for the lepers to be cleansed and yet miss heaven? What would it do for the deaf to, to receive their hearing and yet reject Jesus Christ? What good would it do them? What good would it do if someone died and was resurrected only to die again in their sins and go to hell forever? What good does it do? None. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of the salvation of a soul. But you know what else it does? It does for us spiritually, for, for, uh, it does for us spiritually what it did for all of these folks physically. See, all those things it did physically, there's a spiritual parallel to that. Because salvation doesn't just save us and our eternal destiny is done and we move on with our life until that day when we die and then we cash in our eternal ticket. That's not how it works. Salvation, there's a lot more to it. If you picture salvation like a package, a a present, and that's what Romans says, Inside of that present of salvation you receive, there is a whole lot of good things. If we're saved, let's let the gospel do these things that I'm going to mention in our lives. And if somebody else and someone isn't saved, then let's do our job and get the gospel to them so that God can do these things in their lives. What are these things? And I'm just going to mention them briefly. You know that salvation brings spiritual health. Look at verse 21. Jesus said, and in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues. Now, I don't know what those were, but but I know this. 
uh, back in those days, the health system wasn't very good. They were very limited in their knowledge of the human body and what it took to heal somebody. It was basically a lot of guesswork. I mean, they used to think that if you were sick, you had too much blood in your body. And so they would, do, they would bleed you. I mean, all they had to do is read the Bible, right? The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. You can figure that one out yourself. But they had all these weird ideas. They didn't know. But think of these people and their lives were decimated because they weren't healthy and then they're healed. What is that for us today? Do you know many people are spiritually sick in our society? You know what they're sick from? Sin. Sin sickens. Sin ruins everything that it comes in contact with. There's the health industry is huge today. We have grocery stores for it now, right? Trader Joe's, uh, Lazy Acres. By the way, when you go to Lazy Acres, you got to fill out an application. You got to fill out a loan application, man. It's expensive there. Whole Foods, Sprouts. By the way, not Ralph's. Definitely not Stater Brothers. Okay. And people want to buy organic food, you know, free range. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. And you want to take vitamins. And, and trust me, I take, you know, handfuls of them. And we want to drink pure water and we want to do all this stuff. And it's good for you for physical health. But what about your spiritual health? The average person cares more about their physical health than they care about their spiritual health. There's some food that they would never put in their bodies. And I'm not going to mention that place with the golden arches. That would kill me. You know what's killing your spiritual health? Sin. Sin sickens. Why is this world like it is? Because of sin. Sin just makes everything worse. Now for us, there's two types of sin that we can commit. There's the sin of, of course, commission. Those are things we do, right? Those are things the Bible specifically says not to do. But you know there's another sin, the sin of omission. Those are the things we're supposed to do that we don't do. The fact of the matter is it, doesn't e is it doesn't matter either way because if we're sinning, it sickens our soul. Sin kills anything that's good in our life. But when we're saved, that heals us. When we're saved, it not only gives us power over sin's payment, it gives us, it gives us, it gives us victory over sin's powers. Sin no longer has to destroy us. We are no longer ruined by sin in our life. That's what the gospel is good for. God's desire is not that we just get saved so we get forgiveness. It's so that you walk with him and your sin is forsaken. If sin, here's what I don't understand about Christianity. If sin is so horrible, Christ had to die on the cross so we can be forgiven of it. Why do we allow it in our life and we, we, we condone it in our life because of grace? Sin's bad. Oh, you say, well, you know, uh, it won't send me to hell. I, I understand that, but it's still going to ruin your life on this earth. Sin is a really bad idea. I like Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We love that. That's salvation, right? I mean, we are, we are no longer condemned in our, in our sin because we're in Christ. So when we stand before God, we'll never, we're not standing for God for our sin because our sin's been paid for. But you know that the verse continues. It says, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That's the part of your life that's after you're saved. 
You see, because the fact of the matter is, sin doesn't just condemn us to hell. Sin condemns our life to misery if we're still involved with it on this earth. That's why we don't walk after the flesh. We walk after the spirit. And when a person is saved, their life can be changed. You look at all the drama and everything that's going on in the families and the people that we're going out, we're trying to reach, and we're trying to affect our city. Why do they need the gospel? Why do they need God? Because sin. Sin's bad. So salvation gives us spiritual health, but it also gives us spiritual freedom. Verse 21 again. And of evil spirits. In the gospels you see several times. When people were under the influence of, uh, of demons and you saw how horrific and how traumatic that was. You look at Luke chapter 8, the maniac of Gadara. This guy lived in a graveyard. They couldn't do anything with him. He was super powerful and his life was a mess and he's cutting himself. And then he meets Jesus Christ. You can flip over there if you're in your Bible to, to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read a few verses in verse 33. It says, then went the de demons, out, the devils out of the man. And entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a street place into the lake and were choked. He let them go into some pigs, and down they went. And when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it to the city and in the country. The people that saw it were freaked out. But look at verse 5. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man, this crazy demon-possessed man, out of whom the demons were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. And in his right mind, boy, some of us need that, don't we? And they were afraid. Like, you ever tell somebody, you're out of your mind. It's like, man, they're not in their right mind. You, look at this guy's whole life was, he was bound to this demon. And now it's, he's freed and he's clothed and he's sitting at the foot of Jesus. By the way, it's interesting he's clothed because he was following Satan. He didn't have a lot of clothes on. We won't go there. Summer's coming. But, but he has this freedom now. And he wants to worship the Lord, and he wants to follow Christ, and Christ says, don't follow me. Go home and tell everybody what God has done for you. By the way, that's the gospel. Hey, God did something good for you. Why don't you go tell your, everybody back in your hometown? They know what a train wreck your life is. Spiritual freedom. Why is that? Sin has always restricted people. Now, we may not be, we may not be possessed by demons, because if you're saved, you're indwelled by the Spirit of God. Okay? And demons cannot invade you. But you know, Satan can influence us. And by the way, he does it with his doctrine. He teaches us that, you know, you can do whatever you want. You be the God in your life. That doesn't lead to freedom. That leads to restriction. That is the essence of sin. When we do whatever it is that we want to do. But you know what salvation does? Salvation frees us from that. I do believe, I know we have an addiction program, and I do believe in addiction because sin is extremely addictive. It's not an illness. It's not a mistake. It's not because of your upbringing. It is because of sin. And if we don't get down to that, that, that root of sin, we'll never be free. Jesus is the one who makes us free. For the law, Romans, go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 2. I'll, I'll quote verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We're free. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 8, he says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Salvation frees us from the bondage that comes through sinning and gives us liberty to keep God's word.
You know, it's more than just enough to be loosed from bondage. What is, I, I don't know what the, what the uh, uh, go, I don't even call it go-back rate of people that get out of prison. What is it? Recidivism. Spell that, okay? R-E-C-Evidicism, okay? That's how you spell that thing. But I, I, I guess it's a pretty high amount. Can you imagine that? To be freed from a prison cell only to go right back to the thing you were doing before and end up right back in prison. That's what we do. Well, you know, I'm saved now. I know, but your life is still, your life is still restricted. You're still in bondage to that sin, and that is not God's. God doesn't want us to walk after the flesh. God doesn't want to be, us to be stuck in that mold of sin. He wants us to walk after the Spirit and be free to follow Him. Salvation does that. Whenever we're going and giving the gospel, look, people can come to RU every single week until they have every badge imaginable, and they can have every single one twice, but if they're not saved, they can't live for God. That's the first step. We give them the gospel. And then we help them get those scriptural principles into their lives so they can have that freedom in Christ. And it'll never happen if they don't get away from that sin, but they have to have salvation. It's found in the power of grace that we receive by salvation that allows us to follow the word of God and forsake the sin which besets us. But you know what else they get? Spiritual sight. Look at verse 21. It says, And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Verse 22, how that the blind see. Do you understand that sin blinds? What is it? John chapter 8 where Jesus healed the blind man. And then you see, if you go through the chapter, he was never blind. He got his sight back. You know where the blind one were? The religious leaders. They fought against it. They didn't, fight, they didn't fight against the fact that a miracle had actually happened. They were so blind, they fought against it getting out. How many times did that happen in the thing? They said, we got to get this thing quieted. They didn't. Look, if I saw a miracle, I'm going to have to get on board with it. Here's a man that's giving people sight. I might as well follow him. He must have the truth. But sin is blinding. Sin keeps people from seeing things from the perspective of God. I'm not going to be a harpet, but everything going on in our society, everything bad that's going on, it's like, don't people just see common sense? Can I just tell you something? No. Because they're not saved. They're sinners. And, and, and this world has been so clouded, it's going to the worst degree. But can I just tell you something? Sin will open your, uh, uh, salvation will open your eyes to sin. The things that you saw that you thought were good, you now look back at them and they're bad. The things that you used to believe that you thought were the right way, you look into the scripture and you see what God is doing and you're like, how could I ever have believed that in the first place? Here's the sad thing for Christians. We, we, don't, we, we don't change our sight. We have an opportunity through salvation to see the world in a better light and, and our worldview is no different than a lost person's. And when we don't view the world correctly, our marriages pay for it. We see our marriages just like, just, like, just like the unsaved does. Our children pay for it. We don't give them the kind of upbringing that, that God wants them to have in truth and righteousness. We don't, we don't have that purpose in life. We, we have the same purpose that the unsaved have. The next generation pays for it. The loss of this world pays for it because we're not even interested in what's going on for them. We're just glad that we got salvation and we're not going to hell. Let's not be blinded to sin. But you know what salvation does? It enlightens us. 
It enlightens us. Uh, look, it's, is, is, this, is this world, let's just go to our country, is our country ever going to be changed? No. I don't think we're going to have a, a super transfer. We can have some victory, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be negative. But I'm not going to focus as much on that as I'm going to focus on can people be changed? I, I can work with that. And maybe if enough people got changed, we can make a difference. Uh, sometimes we look at the enormity of the task, right? Like, what is going on here? Can we really make a difference? Well, why don't we just look at it chunk by chunk by chunk, piece by piece? We can make a person in that person's life. We can make a difference in that person's life. We can make a difference in that person's life. And let's just add it up. People are blind by the God of this world, Satan. But salvation opens their eyes to everything that's true and right. Everything that they, they looking, they're looking for in life and they're going the wrong direction to get it and their eyes are now spiritually open. It's like, this is the path I need to take. They can have a spiritual walk. Verse 22, the lame walk. The lame doesn't mean someone who's not very smart. Okay? That means someone that they don't have the ability to walk. They're literally, it's like our dear, our dear folks back here that can't walk. But you know what's worse than that? Someone who's, who has two legs and they're going nowhere. Their sin just crippled their life. It keeps us from moving in the direction that God wants us to move in. Yes, we may be active. Yes, we may be doing a lot. But are we accomplishing anything of any spiritual value? But you know what salvation does? It enables us. It gives us a better path. It gives us a better walk. It gives us a better reason to go somewhere. We're not just involved in activity. We're not just burning off calories and, and everyday things of life. We have a better purpose in life. We have something to accomplish. That's salvation. It raises us up. Think of it. Every time you witness to somebody and they get saved, think of them spiritually as, as, a, as a beggar laying there that can't walk, that needs help, and they can get up. I like the guy. Jesus said, get up, take your bed, and carry it. By the way, the Pharisees didn't like that. Like, what are you doing carrying your bed on the Sabbath day? Well, here's why. He got healed. That's what happens when, when we get the gospel. And every time we're walking with God and we're following him, we'll always get to where we're supposed to be. We'll always get to where he wants us to be. But there's also spiritual cleansing. Look at verse 22 again. The lepers, the lepers, the lepers are cleansed. Now, you just look at that and you say, okay, lepers are cleansed. What's the big deal about that? Do you understand the pollution that, 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 that was in their life because of that disease? Leprosy is a, is a picture of sin. And, and can I just tell you something? It was, a leprosy was a death sentence without the death. It literally, you were outcast. If you had leprosy, you were done with your family. You were done with society. You were done with the city you lived in. You had to live outside the city in the camp with all the other lepers. You couldn't go near anybody that did not have leprosy. You had to announce your coming to them. Are you with me? So think of a man. Here he is. He's married, and he has a family. He finds out he has leprosy. No more wife. He can't be anywhere near her. He can never hold his children again. He can never be at home with them. Everything in his life is over. But think of this. Jesus cleanses. 
We see the picture of the, that's why it's, it's amazing to me, the picture of the, of, the, of the ten lepers. And here they are crying from a distance to Jesus, and Jesus heals all of them. Could you imagine they got their life back? I mean, they can go home. They can take their place in society. They can hold their children again. They can go back to, they can do all of those things. And only one comes back to say thank you. I don't understand that. I just don't understand that. But that's the picture of sin. Salvation purifies us. We get everything back that we, we lost before. By the way, you know, you say, well, here's a you know, couple coming in and they're not saved and, and you know, they want, they want to go to get a marriage counselor. Here's the first thing they need, salvation. Salvation. It's very rare, but sometimes someone will have a friend at work or whatever and they'll talk to them and they'll say, hey, they're, they're having trouble in their marriage. They, they want to meet with you. And I, it's been in rare occasions I have, but you know what always step one's going to be? Salvation. Because if you're not saved, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. I was meeting with a couple many years ago. And I would meet with them before I'd have them come to soul winning, and I'd meet with them, and, and it was just nothing but just every, every, every week was just World War III and, and referee. And I'm like, I don't want to be a referee. I want to make progress here. And so I said, stop. I'm like, we're not going to meet anymore unless you do these things. And I put them on a Bible reading schedule. I gave them messages to listen to. And I'm like, if you're not willing to try to be spiritual, I'm not willing to try to help you get your marriage back together. Because if you're going to get your marriage back together, you've got to be spiritual. Because then you see, hey, this thing can work out. We can get rid of these things that we're doing that are wrong in the sight of God, and we can get these things fixed. That's what salvation does. It gives spiritual hearing. He said the deaf hear. Our dear folks over here, you, you, John tried to explain it to me. You know, they come to church and there's fellowship. They go home in silence. Now, you think about that. There's, there, and most people, I read a, you, so you guys had me read a book, and what was, there was a very high percentage of parents with deaf children that don't even know sign language. That shocked me. I would have thought, you know, if I had a child that didn't, you know, if I had a child that didn't speak English, I'd learn the language so I could talk to them. They live in a very silent world. Could you imagine that? Never hearing anything. And then to get their, 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 their hearing back. To understand what's being said. To not have to watch someone's hands to figure out what's going on. Do you know when we're, when we're in sin, it deafens us to the things of God. We don't get it. We know the verse. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit. For they are spiritual, they are foolishness unto, unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritual, spiritually discerned. You can't argue Bible, Bible things with someone that's not saved. Because they don't understand things in the Spirit, and they never will. God will give them one thing, conviction of their sin to bring them to salvation. But you can sit there and they want to, you know, you ever witness to somebody, they all of a sudden they have a question, right? Like, oh, hey, I was wondering about this. Is there really a gap theory? They don't care about the gap theory, okay? They're trying to get you off the track because Satan's all over. And if they bring up something in the Bible, unless it's related to salvation and the existence of God, it doesn't do you any good to argue with them. Because they're not going to get it from a scriptural standpoint. You know what they need? They need the truth of the gospel. Once they get the truth of the gospel, that natural man is no longer in charge. They are now a spiritual man. And they can understand the truth of the word of God. John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. 
But you can't know it unless you know Christ first. And then lastly, spiritual life. Look at verse 22. The dead are raised. Now, it didn't happen often, but there were times that Jesus, Jesus resurrected people. So we're not even talking here about a, you know, a picture of death. They were, they were, they were done. I mean, the, the boy in the funeral, and he went over there like, we got this. He wrecked the funeral. By the way, if I was in those days, I would have said, hey, listen, if something happens to me, make sure Jesus gets an invite to the funeral. All right? And let him sit in the front row. Really, really close. Okay. But look, they're dead. And they give, they're given life. We understand what Ephesians tells us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 5. And you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sin. Quicken means to be brought back to life. We were dead in our sin. Sin always kills. Kills everything. I hope you're getting that whole concept here. And the only thing that revives it is salvation. Quickened. He brings us back to life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Satan came, I've come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He tries to ruin it all and put it on a slab. And Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life eternal and that they might have it more abundant. I think that's practical. Jesus not only wants us to have eternal life, Jesus wants to have life on this earth. Something to live for, someone to live for, a purpose, a reason, and picture, and, and, and a picture of it. Spiritual life. So what's the point tonight? The point is this. The gospel is everything. It is. Without the gospel, nothing good's going to happen. I can't imagine just trying to get a bunch of people in here. That's why we have invitation, particularly every Sunday morning. You know why? Because visitors are here and they don't know Christ. And we're not going to just say, hey, look, you know, if you think you don't know Jesus, come, you know, we'll just be standing around in a room. No, 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 no. I want to find out. What a shame for them to come to a church and say, wow, the music were good. The, the music were good. The music was good. Don't look at me, Brother Pineda. I, I caught it. The music was good. The people was friendly were. Uh, you know, the Sunday school class, particularly the Filipino class, was great. Okay, thank you for that one. Amen. Uh, you know, my Sunday, the children loved the children's ministry. The choir was fantastic. Everything was great, except for that guy that got up there and yelled. He wasn't so hot. Everything was great about this church. Thank you. And they walk out the door, and we never at least gave them an opportunity to find Jesus Christ. That's on us. Now, if they don't want him, that's on them. But listen, that's what we're all about here. We're never going to hide that, okay? We are about the gospel because the gospel is what changes people's eternity, and it changes their life from the moment that they receive that free gift that's what it's all about. And that's why we need this building done. That's why we need to keep going. That's why we can't be content. I hope one day we get to the point where this building is so full, it's like, where are we going to stick people? Phase seven. Okay? We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll build a, uh, I don't know, we'll hang them from the ceiling. Okay? I don't know what we would do. Hopefully that's a, now I'm thinking about it with the building program, hopefully that's a long way down the road, amen? But, but why not? If they're coming, don't we want more people to know Jesus Christ? Hey, are you glad someone gave you the gospel? Are you glad you know Jesus Christ? Has he done things in your life? Then why don't we help him do things in other people's life? And it starts with the gospel. We're not, raising, we're not doing any of these things physically. 
If I was a faith healer, I'd start here. Okay? And I'd probably go down to the hospital. And the wheelchair folks, I'd say, hey, bring them in. Can't do that, but we can do it spiritually. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest, say, what's the greatest miracle that ever happened in your life and mine? What, what day did you get saved? That's it. That's it. That's the greatest miracle. And this church is always going to be about that. So let me say this and we're done. Why don't you become a miracle worker? We don't need these, these, these televangelists on the television that are just nothing but false doctrine, rotten to their core. Why don't we do real miracles? You say, what do you do? Hey, can I give you this invitation to our church? On the back, it talks about how you can know for sure when you die, you go to heaven. I love, John, I love their book. The, it's called The Roman's Road, right? Is that it? Yeah. You know what that book is? If I remember, John, all it is is stories of them sharing the gospel with people at these death conventions. Over. The whole book. I read that book and I'm like, I wish these guys lived here. That's what it's all about. Well, you know, the deaf community, they need fellowship, and they do. They need people to love them, and they do. They need people to care about them and, and, and have a place for them, and they do. But you know what? If they don't get the gospel and they got all that, that's worthless. Now, we got them, we'll give them that, and we're going to get the gospel to them. And that's what everybody needs. So let me ask you, are you a miracle worker? Have you ever seen a miracle? Well, no, Pastor, I've never seen a miracle. Have you ever, have you ever given the gospel and seen someone trust Christ? Yeah, you just saw the dead raised. And you were quickened, brought back to life, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Let's just make sure that's always the focus of what we're doing. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute if we can stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed just for a minute. We do a lot in this church, and I'm all for it. I'm all for activities. I'm all for get-togethers. I'm all for the school and everything we do. I'm all for it. It's all super important. But you know what the most important thing is? It's all winning. Sharing the gospel. Hey, have some tracts with you. Give a, give a gospel tract to somebody. Invite them to church. Maybe they'll talk to you and you can share the gospel with them. We go out on Saturdays. You're more than welcome to come. By the way, in a couple, in, in about a month, we're going to have a super big Summer saturation. Every person that's a member of this church ought to be there on Tuesday night. It's summertime. People are open and available because the sun's out later and we can get the gospel. It's a fantastic thing. So what are you doing about it? That's the greatest thing you can do. I want to be in on what God wants. It's amazing. All these miracles. Boom, 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 boom. And the gospel is preached. What? That's, that's a miracle. That's a miracle in the making. Maybe tonight you say, Pastor, I need to be more on board than that with that. I need to take more opportunities to share the gospel with this world. They need it. They need Jesus Christ, and, and I want to be a part of the solution. Piano's going to play. If God spoke to you, why don't you come do business with God? Look, if you're committed to sharing the gospel, God will bring people your way. And you never know. Well, I just handed out a track. I didn't even get to talk to that person. They didn't have time. They may come to church. It happens all the time. And they raise their hand in the service or someone talks to them. Gospel is the most important thing. It's the greatest miracle.